0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Raise your hand. How many of you grew up watching Christmas movies as a kid with your family? Just raise your hand. Many of you, and now you find yourself watching those same movies with your kids or your grandkids. Uh, movies like Charlie Brown Christmas, Rudolph, Frosty, Home Alone, Elf, all these Christmas movies we're so familiar with. And one of, one of my favorites growing up was How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And many of you are familiar with the 1966 version. And uh, we know the story of how the Grinch was determined to stop, to put an end to Christmas, right? And he was, he was pretty angry and grumpy. And about two years ago, uh, there was a re-adaptation of this uh, movie, and uh, I walked away from that one just blown away. It was incredible, uh, the connections it made with, I think, contemporary culture and the greater uh, story of the gospel, and my heart for you as one of your pastors is that we would be able to have gospel eyes. All right? When we watch movies in our culture, when we look out into the world around us, we would be able to make connections back to our story and to the greater story of the gospel. We would make these beautiful bridges, right? That We would see that what's going on in that movie is an echo of something greater that's going on in my own heart and what's going on in the greater story of redemption, And that we wouldn't be like some who would just throw grenades out there in the culture and sitting behind our high and holy walls. No, we would seek to find connections. And so in this story, especially in this newest adaptation, we get the Grinch's backstory. We we get his growing up years and we find out why he is the way he is. If you've seen the story, if not, this is a spoiler alert, okay? So uh, the story of uh, the Grinch, we see that as a little, little Grinch, all uh, right, he was an orphan. He lived life alone. And so when Christmas rolled around and all the Who's in Whoville were gathering together and they were feasting, he was, he was left out. He was He was sad. And so he, he grew with the sense of hurt and bitterness toward this holiday, so much so that he hated it, didn't want to see it coming. And as an adult Grinch, he was one who was bitter, right? And one who was grumpy and, and criticizing and trying to put an end to Christmas. I thought about this. It's not just in the story of the Grinch, though, that we see this, this isolated, lonely individual who's searching. We see it all over during this time of the year. I mean, home alone, uh, you know, Kevin at home, literally alone, but we meet this character, old man Marley, and they, they meet up together in this chapel and there's this incredible moment where they can kind of resonate with one another and being alone, but this old man is kind of grieving the loss of his estranged son who he hasn't spoken with for years. I mean, we see it in the story, right, of A Christmas Carol and Scrooge. I mean, he's got all this money and yet he's empty on the inside searching for something that money can't buy. We we see it even in Charlie Brown. Here's a fellow who's kind of dealing with melancholy all the year around, but especially around the holidays when everybody is celebrating, he's searching for something more. And so we see it in the Christmas movies and we see it in the real stories of the Bible. In particular, we see it in the Gospel of Luke. Luke has a way of including everyone, those in particular who are on the fringes of society, those who are forgotten, those who are left out, and how Jesus came for those. And so throughout the course of this series, we're going to meet different characters, not just in the Christmas story, but all throughout the gospel story, who are lonely and in longing for something more. And so today, we meet this relatively unknown, kind of obscure, older woman in the Christmas story. She's at the tail end of the story, often forgotten, and she understands what it means to be lonely, and yet she responds very differently than the Grinch. Even though we only have three verses recorded of her story, these three verses are powerful. They can make a big difference in our lives today. We can learn a lot from this woman about what it means to long for God, even in the midst of our loss and loneliness. And so, if you've got a Bible, turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have one with you this morning, uh, you can look on the screen in back of me. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 36 to 38. This is the Word of God. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so the story of Anna is one we can relate to this year especially, as many of us are dealing with disappointment and loss and loneliness. Yet all of that had a way of, of driving Anna closer and deeper with her Savior. Now the context leading up to these verses, if you turn back to Luke 2, 22 to 24 you'll see Mary and Joseph... Uh, presenting Jesus at the temple. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, Mary and Joseph, brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Jesus has just been born in Bethlehem, and now 40 days later, they're following the law of Moses. This was a time of purification and dedication for the firstborn sons. And so they take their little baby Jesus to the temple for this special ceremony, this special time. And along with this law, it also required them to bring a sacrifice. Typically, it was a lamb to be offered. We learn here that they brought instead two doves, telling us that they were in poverty. This was a poor couple, and the law made provision for poor couples like Mary and Joseph. And so while they're there in the temple presenting Jesus uh, to the Lord, while there, God's Spirit is, is sovereignly drawing two older, devout, righteous people to see Jesus in the temple as the promised Messiah. Simeon and Anna are the the witnesses to this event. Now, now Luke, if you know him, he's an historian. He is a careful historian and and a doctor by trade. And so he's he's all about the details and and the context. And he wants to compile this as an, an accurate historical account of Jesus' birth. And so he makes sure that he stacks up witnesses, faithful witnesses who have seen the Messiah, and so here we have Simeon and Anna who are both very old, they're both righteous and devout, and they're waiting, they're longing, their whole life has come to this moment right here to meet the Messiah. And so let's look at what led up to this moment, in particular for Anna. If we read Anna's backstory, we're going we're to see that her story is marked by loss and loneliness. Look with me again in verses 36 and 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Notice Luke draws out some important details, and they're not just important, they're inspired details. God has inspired every detail here for a reason, as we're going to see every detail is meaningful. So let's walk through these uh, couple verses here and and notice the details. First of all, she's a woman, and we shouldn't take that for granted. God wants for a woman to be a witness to his son, Jesus, being born. That's important. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, it's often a man and then paired with a woman. Luke does a masterful job of just weaving together the story included with both men and women. She's also noted as a prophetess. Now, we're unsure exactly of what this meant. There's some speculation, some um, kind of um, back and forth on uh, whether or not this means that she had some special gift to foretell the future, or if Anna is just unusually gifted by the Spirit to be able to teach and proclaim the Word of God. But what we see here is that Anna is is uniquely gifted and she is a woman who's been anointed by God and by his spirit to make a difference for God's kingdom. Her name, as we've already said, is Anna, which means grace or gracious one. And that's a significant detail as we're going to see later. It it kind of signifies that, that there's a shift about to happen here. All right, Anna's kind of at the end of the birth narrative and, and, and her name means grace. And I think Luke is hinting at the fact that the law and, and, and our obedience to the law is going to give way to this covenant of grace, which Anna kind of points us to. She's also described as the daughter of Phanuel, which, get this, his name means the face of God. Now, now think about this for a moment, how, how God ordains for this man in his name, to, to literally mean the face of God. And for his daughter, Anna, 84 years later, she literally saw the face of God in Jesus. That's incredible. That's not just a coincidence, right? That's, just, that's providence. That's God's providence. Prophetic. It says she's from the tribe of Asher. It's one of the smaller, insignificant tribes of Israel. We know that um, this tribe, along with others, was exiled to Assyria. Uh, So Anna, no doubt, grew up in a very hostile environment. Uh, A lot of political upheaval, bloody history that she was around as a young person. Here we see that she's now advanced in years, which is really just a nice way of saying she was really old. Uh, She is a really old woman by this time. She's 84 years old. And I thought about this, how our culture values youthfulness, right? We, we see that in our culture, youthfulness and vitality is valued, but not too often does our culture value old age. And yet God does, in particular, those who are wise and, and righteous and godly men and women in their old age. Simeon and Anna are uplifted for us as examples to follow. And I'm so glad that we have examples here in our church, too, of godly men and women who are advanced in years. And notice too here that she is described as a widow. Uh, Back in verse 36, it says, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So it was customary back then for women to marry in their teenage years. More than likely, Anna was married by age 15. And so she lived with her husband for just seven years before her husband died. So now she's lived for 60 plus years as a widow, as a widow, and no doubt dealing with some of the the poverty, probably slipping into poverty as a result of this. Uh, We don't have any record here of any mention of any children. So maybe she was also barren without kids. Uh, So she was very vulnerable, vulnerable. Her story could be summed up with a lot of loss, a lot of disappointment, and loneliness. She had been through a lot. And and some of you can identify with her story today, especially having this year that we've had. And around the holiday season, this loneliness can be heightened. Our reality, and you know this, even before the pandemic, we've been in a, a loneliness epidemic. Right in our culture today, three out of five people say that they are lonely. Three out of five. I think that's that's even growing as a result of what we've experienced this year. And I think about it not just out there in our culture, but right here in Humboldt. Um, I've been burdened, in particular this this week, in thinking about all of the folks who are in our care centers and. And just praying for them, and I've asked a couple from our church, what can we do? I mean, what can we do to to bless them? And it's just so difficult. It's heartbreaking, right? Um, Some of them are alone, and and they can't be seen, like even face-to-face in the same room. And so uh, alone and dealing with loneliness uh, this holiday season is so hard. But it's not just older folks. I saw a statistic that showed that the 18- to 22-year-olds many of whom are dealing with loneliness and mental illness. And they're trying to find some kind of community by, by flipping through their phones, but it's only leaving them more and more alone. And so all of us, to some degree, have felt lonely this year, the loss and the disappointment. So, and here's, here's really the big question that I want to ask. It's this, where does your loss and your loneliness lead you? I think that's one of the big questions of 2020. Where does your loss and your loneliness lead lead you. I think for the Grinch, you know, looking back at his story, his backstory, he grew up lonely. He grew up isolated, feeling not accepted. And so he became angry. And we see this in this new adaptation. He's, he's kind of cranky, easily provoked. He's, he's criticizing others. He's, he's dealing with a lot of bitterness. And yet underneath it all, he's full of pain. He's hurting, drowning in shame and insecurity. I think some of us don't even realize that we've experienced this year a lot of, of heartache, maybe personal loss, maybe a death of a loved one or a sick, an aging parent, maybe a sense of, um, of failure at times. Maybe, maybe it's been a job loss or financial struggle, maybe wayward children, maybe your hopes and, and dreams unfulfilled, infertility. I don't know what it is for you. It's uh, a whole host of things. And, and a lot of times what we do with that is we just want to keep moving on, uh, push it underneath the rug, just kind of suffer in silence, and never, never deal honestly with our story, especially around the holidays. We just try to medicate the pain, right? Try to, try to fill the void somehow. And so we, we bake an extra you know, batch of cookies. We binge on Hallmark Christmas movies, right? We shop and spend lots of money. We're just flipping through Facebook and social media for hours on end. Where does your disappointment in life lead you? Where does your loss and your loneliness lead you? you know, I saw this, uh, that Dr. Seuss and his real name, I think is pronounced Dr. Geisel. Um, and of course, he passed away, I think, in the, in the early 90s. But Dr. Seuss himself, I mean, I love his books and and the movies, and I I think many of you have read these books to your kids, even even your grandkids. But I don't know if you know his story. Uh, Dr. Seuss, man, he himself had a story of loss and sadness. Um, Early on, I'm not sure at what age, but he had a sister that passed away early on in life. And I'm sure that made him angry. Like, why was she taken at such a young age? age away from him. He, he, he grew up in somewhat of a, a Christian moral uh, household, and then he went to college and went to Oxford and Dartmouth. He was a smart guy. And yet, through that college experience, it, it kind of drew him away from his, his childhood morality and, and Christianity. He later got married, was married for 35 years, and yet, after 35 years, had an affair uh, it lasted a few years, and this, this woman later uh, took her life. And so here you have uh, a man who's perhaps coping with the pain himself as he's writing these stories and, and putting uh, all of this out into uh, the culture. And we're, we're thankful that God in his common grace can use a man like that with a broken story. I don't know if he ever turned to Christ in his older years or not. But but the question there remains, what does your loss and your loneliness lead you? Where does it lead you? You see, for Anna, her loss and her loneliness didn't drive her away from God. It drew her closer to God. She didn't become bitter. Her loss and difficult life drove her deeper into a greater longing for her Savior. Look at verse 37 again with me. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Notice she did not depart from the temple. I don't know if this is to be taken literally or just hyperbole. Uh, There's a good chance that Anna lived adjacently to the temple in what was called the Court of Women. So perhaps she she was just a fixture at the temple. You know, night and day she was worshiping and serving the Lord. She loved being in the presence of God and with, with the people of God. And I just want to look at the screen right now for some of you who are at home, and I know that you long to be here and you can't. uh, Just for your health reasons and purposes, we love you. You are not alone. We're praying for you. You mean a lot to our church family. And so Anna was one who who yearned to be in the presence of God with the people of God. And remember, she was 84 years old. and, And I wonder, If if Psalm 84 was one of her favorites, look at this Psalm in verses 1 to 4. ever sing your praise. And then verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, don't get me wrong here. Um, The application this morning is, is not that we just quit our jobs and leave our families and just pitch a tent next to the church and become a monk or a nun. That would, that would not be uh, the application today. We're all in different seasons of life and God has put us in different seasons, in different situations in life for his good purposes. So the application is not that we live like Anna. The application is that we have a heart like Anna that we have a heart like Anna, right? And that takes time. Remember, she's 84 years old. That doesn't happen overnight. We we can't short circuit this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, early on in our Christianity, some of us think that we're just gonna read a lot of Christian books and instantly grow to maturity. Sorry, that doesn't happen. You can grow in, in knowledge, but you're not gonna grow in maturity alone through just reading books. It takes a lifetime. And sometimes it's going to be sorrow and disappointment and and loss that will come your way and suffering to grow you deeper in your faith in Jesus and give you a greater longing for him. It's being in the presence of God with the people of God over time, over many, many years, and we become more and more and more like Jesus by his grace alone. But notice in verse 37, she was worshiping with fasting and praying Night and day. Incredible. And I think we get the worshiping and the, and the praying part, even though there's a big gap sometimes between our desire to pray and, and really our practice of prayer and worship. But what's this fasting all about? I mean, what is that all about? Fasting. It seems so foreign to us. Fasting from food and, and using that time to pray and to worship was a Jewish practice that Anna would have participated in in both publicly on special days and privately on her own. But why? I mean, what's the motivation? It seems like what's on the other end of that? Okay, so I've missed a meal or, or a few meals, and why would I do that? It seems so uncomfortable. Why would I want to go through that? Well, for some, in particular in Jesus's day, religious leaders, it was a way of showing off showing off their spirituality, to be seen by others. In Matthew 6, 1, uh, Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. For too many of us, uh, way too many of us, me included, we are susceptible at times to just want to be seen right? To make sure that people know that we have done this or done that. We care about what people think. We live in a world where everything is constantly on display for the whole world to see, right, in social media, to share and to broadcast, even our relationship with God. We've got to put it out there. Sometimes it's better just to do things in secret where nobody else knows but you and God, and He will reward you. For Anna, she didn't want to be seen by others. Her fasting wasn't to impress people. Anna was fasting as an expression of her longing for God, to meet with him face to face. She yearned for Christ's coming more than her next meal. And here's the problem. I I know this, it's in my own heart. I mean, this, this kind of teaching of Jesus, this example of Anna seems so upside down, so kind of foreign to us, and here's why. We're too satisfied with the world. I mean, we feel too at home here, don't we? Even when it's frustrating, I mean, this year has been so frustrating, we still, we still think that we're going to somehow find fulfillment in, in, in filling ourselves up with what the world has to offer, and it will never fill us. You see, before we can follow Anna's example, we need to be fed up with this present world. Eugene Peterson once said it this way, a person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Let me say that again, let it sink in. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Guys, I think that's what 2020 has been all about. God is using it to whet our appetite for something bigger, something greater, the kingdom of God, right? Let me ask you this simple question Have you ever been really hungry to where your stomach was literally growling? H- have you ever had that experience? Most of you are like, nope, at least not lately. I mean, maybe you can identify with a sign Rick Nelson put up this week. I am still full. (laughs) Is that you? Are you still full from Thanksgiving? Some of us, that's the way we we are. We just go from meal to meal and filling ourselves up. And even spiritually, right? We're we're so filled up with, with the world, right? We don't have any taste buds for God. And so let me just change the metaphor here. Instead of your stomach growling, how long has it been since your soul was groaning? Just groaning on the inside, Just yearning, longing, hurting, and aching for something more, something better, something lasting. How long has it been since you've groaned? Romans 8, 23, Paul says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In this life, we are groaning, as we are waiting for our full redemption, we're uncomfortable here. We haven't made a home with this world. Our home is in heaven. And so we're groaning. And not just just us. In the context, it says all of creation is groaning for the redemption to to happen. And, And the Spirit himself is groaning along with us. Waiting. Wanting this redemption to come. Heard one author say it this way for many, 2020, has felt like one long groan. One long groan. Between the pandemic, the struggling economy, the quarantines, the isolation, the, the, the noisy election, the political division, not to mention all the things that have happened to us personally, this year has reminded us again and again and again of our collective groan, our ache, our longing for real and lasting hope and joy and love and peace. And yet, listen, in our groaning, listen to this, in our groaning, he's doing something in us. In your, in your groaning, he's doing something in you. In your groaning, he's giving you a greater longing for Christ to return. That's what's happened in the story of Anna. Anna was fasting, and she's praying night and day. Why? Because she was yearning and longing for Christ to come. She was waiting with anticipation for the coming of her Redeemer and her Savior. And so here's my question for you as we close. Should we long for him any less than Anna? Night and day, worshiping, praying, and fasting. I want you to come. Shouldn't we be longing for him even more? cry of the early church was, come, Lord Jesus, come, come. This is the heart's cry for the one who has come to the point where they're so fed up with this fallen world and its disappointments and and losses, so so frustrated with unfulfilled dreams and broken relationships with sickness and suffering and, and the death of loved ones. This is not how it should be. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We miss you. Make things right. Make things new. Yet it's not just out of frustration that this, this cry is coming out of. It's, it's out of this, this expression of longing and this expression of, of yearning and anticipation for our redemption. You see, we know more about the baby than Anna did. Anna knew a little. You know, in verse 38 Says coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She knew she saw the face of God in Jesus. This is the one. This is the one we've been waiting for. He's the Redeemer. And yet she saw so little compared to us. Think about this for a moment. We have seen so much more on the pages of Scripture. We have seen the face of God in Jesus. We have seen him as the one who teaches with authority. We have seen him as the one who performs miracle after miracle. We have seen him as the one who was broken and bleeding, crucified on a cross. We have seen him as the one who has been risen from the grave and victoriously seated at the right hand of God. We have seen him. We walk by faith and not by sight. We have seen him and we long for him. We have seen him not only as the face of God, we have seen him as the final redemption for our sins. Anna only got a glimmer of this, a hint of this. She saw him as the one who would redeem Jerusalem. We see him as the redeemer of everyone who would give their life to him. I've said this before, but it's not just that Jesus is the reason for the season it's that sin is the reason for the season. The reason why this Redeemer has come is that we are sinners. And we, apart from His sovereign grace, are lost and ruined without hope. It's not just that we're lonely, that we will spend an eternity of loneliness without Him if we continue on in our rebellion. But this Redeemer has come to save us from our sins. He has loved you and me dearly. And he is not only the face of God and the final redemption, he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He fulfilled the law of God. Think about this, Anna, remember? Her name means grace. She sees Jesus in the temple, not knowing that Jesus would fulfill all the temple sacrifices and all the temple system of you having to come and hoping that your good works would be enough. No, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God not as a result of work so that no one can boast. You come to him on the basis of your weakness. You come to him as a sinner in need of grace. And so this is the cry. This is the cry of, of one like Anna, who has waited day after day and year after year and decade after decade, who just like Anna wants to fill your arms with this Savior, to be, to be, Brought back again to this place of rest. And so who needs Christmas? All of us. All of us. Especially those of us who are loneliest this Christmas. Maybe the grinchiest among us need Christmas. Who find it hardest to enjoy this time of the year. Because we know in our groaning and our longing that he will come again. Let me end with this verse love these last verses of the Bible in Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. He's coming, he's coming. And our response is amen. Come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And as we consider Anna's life, we want to follow her example of worshiping, praying, even even beginning to, to fast and to long and to yearn for your coming. You have come already as the Savior and you will come one day again and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, the glory of God, the Father. And I pray that in this holiday season, for some of us it's been hard and either for ourselves or for our family members, we pray that you might come near to us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. God, show up in the hospital rooms and at the care centers and at the homes of those who are lonely even now. Be present with them. And we pray for all of us as we walk through the disappointments and losses, it would lead us not further away from Jesus, but closer to Jesus. Lord, we thank you we thank you for your, your love for us. And we pray that we would long for your return. And until you come, give us a longing and a hunger for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.